Hey everyone, it's Heather. I'm so excited about our new resource for single women, Authentically You. One of the most challenging parts of life is navigating relationships. This can be especially true for women who have been tainted by negative sexual experiences and mistakes from their past, or when the struggle with porn and masturbation takes hold and won't let go. This leaves them feeling distant from God, separated by the weight of shame and regret. If this is you, you're not alone. Authentically You was written specifically for single and college-aged women, those who are on the working career path and those who are in college. This 20-lesson curriculum is easily adaptable to a busy work schedule or a college semester system. Through this group experience, you'll explore how your past pain and trauma contribute to distorted beliefs and an unhealthy thought life. You'll uncover the role your family of origin plays in your past and current behaviors and address the issues that perpetuate compulsive and addictive patterns. And through the use of weekly exercises, strategic tools, and self-care focus, you'll learn how to live in health, how to live as your true, authentic self. I know God has a plan for your life to bring you to a place of health and wholeness. If you allow it, God will do amazing things in you and through you. So pre-order today, Authentically You. Go to puredesire.org A-Y. That's puredesire.org A-Y. Welcome to the Pure Desire Podcast, helping you take back your life from unwanted sexual behavior and betrayal trauma. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and you're listening to episode 262 of the Pure Desire Podcast. Here joining me, as always, is my co-host, Nick Stumbo. There are strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. The Arctic trails have their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The Northern Lights have seen queer sights, but the queerest they ever did see was on the night of the marge of Lake LaBarge. I cremated Sam McGee. Is there more? Well, there are 15 stands. Okay, Would you like I, just, to hear I mean, them I feel like I could. <laughs> I could totally. It's like, do I say something? Do I not? Um, I have no idea. I mean, it sounds vaguely familiar, and that probably makes me sound uncultured, but what is that? It's it's one of those things I pull out, like if there's a talent show or like, you know, you're sitting around a fire and there's just that lull in conversation. It's a poem I had to memorize in freshman English class. Freshman we, year of high school? Yeah, yeah. Wow. We, we had to go stanza by stanza and learn all 15 stanzas of this poem uh, by Robert Seward, I believe, called mm-hmm. The Cremation of Sam McGee. Uh, really unique poem. And just because Sounds it's like interesting, it. I mem- remembered it. And I would, you know, I'd tell it to my kids at night. <laughs> I would tell it around a campfire. Just, you know, ask my family, like, oh, brother, not that again. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's one of those things where it's just like, you don't remember my birthday, but you remember this poem from, yeah. it's like one of those random things that we remember. Um, I have a few of those. I'm not going to talk about them though. We had That's today. Good. Uh, is it good? I don't know what that means. Uh, today we had Jay Stringer, uh, who's a good friend, uh, buddy of, of ours and the ministry. Uh, we love his work, um, author, therapist, minister, um, just a stud all around. And we had him on, um, really to just explore what he's been studying, um, talk more about his book Unwanted and some of the stuff that he's found, um, with people revisiting their past and their history and, their unwanted behaviors. And, and honestly, we also talked about him being one of our featured speakers at the summit this year. Yeah, we are very excited to have Jay out at the summit. And, and I think his book, Unwanted, has really been a game changer for a lot of people and yeah. how they view their struggle, how they define recovery and understanding the power of our story. And rather than you know trying to run away from lust to actually understand it so that we can move through it. And, and that's actually what made me think of that intro 
if you, uh, listener, go and read or find the poem, The Cremation of Sam McGee, it really ends with a twist. It really turns mm-hmm. around the whole story. And, and that's, I think, what Jay does so well and why we're excited to have him as a speaker. Because yep. when we think about being all in on our recovery, I think what comes to mind for most of us is like, okay, if I'm all in, it's, it's kind of this like, bring all this energy and gumption and, and yeah. just like white knuckling it. I'm going to go after it really hard. And, yeah. and I think all in, especially as Jay describes it, and you hear a lot of it in this episode, that all in is, is less about kind of this like mental, emotional, physical energy um, and more a mindset, more mm-hmm. an understanding of cooperating with what God's doing in my life yeah. and, and walking towards something versus away from something. Just mm-hmm. It, it kind of changes the picture. And yeah. so I, I think it's a wonderful uh, interview that we have here. And for those that know Jay, this just is going to build on yeah. your appreciation for his work. And if this is your introduction to Jay Stringer, um, we'll have the link to the Unwanted book in the show notes because I'm yep. sure you'll want to go pick it up after yeah. this. Yeah, Jay is he's just a great guy to talk to and his content is always excellent. Um, I just appreciate his work so much. Okay, well, before we get to our time with Jay, subscribe to the podcast to say it every week, but just do it. We're on all the major platforms and also follow us on social media uh, at Pure Desire PDMI. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch this full episode if you want to see Jay sitting in his New York apartment having this conversation with us, the episode will be up on YouTube. Just search Pure Desire Ministries. I wanted to make a comment about like him and his luxurious hair because I really did like his hair, but <laughs> I feel like one listener is going to be like, why do we have to comment on someone's physical appearance? Anyways, and pr- the, our producer, Justin, is now side-eyeing me because <laughs> like, he on. has much longer hair than Jay does and is assuming that the same principle should apply. Hey, Justin, we'll talk off air, okay? Um Lastly, and just, it feels like a good time to bring it up because Jay is a speaker. We have the Pure Desire Summit this year, September 16 and 17, and we've got a lot of ways for people to attend this event and take in all the content and join us. So why don't we talk about it a little bit, Nick? Yeah, we do mention the summit just a couple of times in this episode. We had to carry the two, I think, at one point. If Jay, his content doesn't convince you to come out, you know, there's so many other reasons to get to be Mm -hmm. out. Uh, in the Portland area with the Pure Desire staff, and we promise you a riot-free experience. <laughs> oh gosh! Uh, no, uh, you know, do you often aside, hear? Do you hear that a lot from people? I there is a very, very negative perception of Portland okay. nationally right now, okay. and and I understand why, just what's in the news. But sure. I, I think that's what I want to say. Okay. You know, truthfully to our <laughs> listeners, uh, what you hear in the national media is just a tiny part of Portland, yeah. and by and large, we're still a wonderful place to visit. Yes, we are. Uh, the place where the summit is held and where our offices are at are, we're really on the very Eastern edge of town, right up against the Columbia River Gorge and downtown Portland feels like a world away. And so if if you do have concerns about some of the unrest you've heard about, um, you're, you're likely not going to encounter any of that. (laughs) What you're going to encounter is our smiling staff, a great group of people that are engaged in their healing and the encouragement that is to you. So September is honestly maybe the best month to be in Oregon. Mm. So if you can get here, we'd love to have you come. But if not, we have the opportunity you can join from home virtually. You could gather with a small group or we're even going to have a couple of host sites that might be in your area. So one way or another, we just feel this is the kind of, of weekend and event that whether you're able to be at it and get it all in one weekend or you're going to you know, end up getting the, the streaming videos and watch them yep. later, it just gives us that boost. It gives us that perspective that I think we all need because yeah. over time in recovery, there can be fatigue, right? There can be kind totally. of a loss of vision. Like, why am I doing this? It's, we talk in the episode today, it's hard work. And the summit is about helping all of us remember why this is so important, yeah. not only in our own lives, but how God could use us 
to be a change agent in the world around us. So join us at the summit. We'd love to have you. And if you're that one person out there who enjoys riots and wants to come check it out, that's another great reason to come to Portland. Check it out. We'll give you the address. Uh, If you want to register, whether in person, online, or at a site host, you can go to puredesire.org slash summit22 and register today. All right, here's our time with Jay Stringer talking about unwanted behaviors, revisiting our past, and what he's going to be talking about at the summit. Jay Stringer, welcome back to the Pure Desire podcast, man. We're super excited to see you again. Trevor and Nick, thank you so much for having me on. So, so fun to be back with you both. We uh, just, I mean, before we even started recording, we were talking like, it's been a while. You were in our Sexual Integrity 101 video course. We've had you speak at a men's event, uh, you know, and uh, spoiler alert, we've already heard it so far on the episode. You'll be a speaker at this year's summit. Uh, And we just, man, we're fans of you, but I feel like sometimes you say that and you mean that about someone's work specifically, but Honestly, for us, we're fans of who you are as a man. We just love you and your friendship. And yes, the work that you do is amazing. But uh, even just before we started recording, it's like, I just want to talk to Jay. I don't even want to record this episode. Like, let's just chop it up and have some conversations. So we're excited for our time together today. Um, Mm. But Jay, we've done a couple episodes with you before. And as I've said, some of our audience is familiar with you. But for those listeners, maybe that haven't heard the episodes we did a couple of years ago with you um, and don't know much about your work. Can you just tell them a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, first off, just to respond to your kind words, I feel the same way. I mean, there are some events that you go to that you either fly into, drive into, and you're like, I cannot wait to leave here. Uh, it, but then there's also ones where it's like, I, I think I'm more looking forward to McMenamin's before or after with you guys. <laughs> that's right. um, and that's a, that's a good conference and colleagues to have. So grateful for both of you Thanks, as man. well. Uh, so yeah, when uh, last we talked, I was living in Seattle and we moved across the country to New York City in the middle of the pandemic. So one of the first friends that I met here in New York kind of just referenced a lot of the times when you see a hurricane coming through Florida and all the cars are going north on I-95 and then there's a couple stragglers going south. And you know it raises the obvious question, who are these idiots? <laughs> Why are you coming south? in? <laughs> Um, and so he's like, you are that car. So it's, it's been very similar to that. Um, just disrupting our lives, our friendships, Mm -hmm. communities, uh, been a bit of a circus, but it's also been a city that we have just fallen in love with and can totally imagine a life here for at least a decent amount of time. So, uh, married to my wife, Heather, uh, we met in grad school. She's also a psychotherapist. So, Uh, A lot of friction, conflict in the early days, (laughs) engaging one another. Uh, But I think it's gotten a lot better. Uh, Stop analyzing me. That's right. I'm not your client. (laughs) Projection, projection. It sounds like a joke. Honestly, Uh, it sounds like a joke. Like, so two psychotherapists get married. Like, that's the first line of a joke. Yeah. Very good. Exactly. Yep. And we have two kids, uh, seven and nine. And so that's, you know, most of family life. And then in terms of my work life, I would say like the main thesis of my work is that, uh, you know, the, the difficulties and the antagonists of our lives don't have to be a life sentence to shame mm. or struggle. They can actually be a roadmap to healing. And so 
the first book that I wrote uh, really dove into that concept of what can we learn from an area like sexual brokenness, mm -hmm. struggle with porn, extramarital affairs, uh, and really just did it, some research to kind of say, you know, it, can the problems that we're going through actually provide clues into the healing that we most need? Uh, and so that's the sense that I want people to have from my work is this profound sense of curiosity of what, what about this do I not yet understand? And how can some of that understanding and curiosity lead to a much more kind mm. uh, and curious approach yeah. to healing? Yeah. And uh, I know, Jay, you were connected to Dan Allender and the Seattle School. Mm -hmm. And is, are you still have connections there? Are you doing this on your own now, having built off of that? What's your connection to the Dan Allender group? Uh, so, yeah, still my I will see Dan next week. Uh, mm -hmm. We do something. He's been running uh, what are called uh, men's recovery weeks for, I think, like 25 years. And wow. so that is, you know, a group of 15 men that go to a retreat for about a week. And we do an incredible deep dive mm. into uh, their story of sexual abuse. And so, I mean, as you all know this really well, uh, sometimes when men get into a type of crises, uh, the, it's the porn, it's the unwanted behavior. But then as you begin to dive into where are the pain, what's the story beneath that? Uh, oftentimes it's some spectrum of sexual abuse. And so this is just yeah. really beautiful, holy, um, indeed terrifying week for some of these mm -hmm. men. But I see Dan uh, at those each year, and then we collaborate here and there, but no longer officially kind of with the Allender Center. My wife still works with them. Uh, so dear friends, dear yeah. colleagues, a lot of alliances, but I don't receive... Um, <laughs> what is that a 1099 from them <laughs> there you yeah. go anymore yeah. Yeah. so yeah, yeah that's well that's awesome and i think a lot of people know you from your book unwanted mm -hmm. or maybe the work you did on the follow-up study for the heart of man film and, yeah. and they've seen you mm -hmm. in those areas and those are great projects that i think continue to impact a lot of lives but also projects that were done several years ago now and so catch us up on like what is your area of maybe focus right now or study are there are there books or projects in the works that you'd like to tell our listeners about that are taking up your focus in the more current days? It's such a good question. One that I have so much existential angst <laughs> over. I feel like at, you know, in, at my core, I'm an explorer. Um, I want to go into space. I want to go to the fringes, to the edges, to ask the questions, to learn what hasn't been learned yet. Uh, but this work of unwanted, like I just didn't anticipate the amount of kind of work and demand that it would create. Mm, and yeah. so, you know, they don't teach you how to run a business and kind of create offerings in grad school. So that's <laughs> been a lot of the last couple of years. I was actually talking to an agent pretty recently and he said, you know, Jay, you you probably should be on your second or third book right now. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, uh, but I haven't been able to prioritize that. So I'm really hoping in the next year to prioritize uh, a lot more writing, a lot more research. So, you know, we get a lot of requests around, you know, something like hypoactive sexual desire, which is like when you have low or no sexual desire, kind of like you feel like you need a, a defibrillator for your sex life. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and so we've been looking into kind of what can we learn from that? Because a lot of times, like there's one marriage therapist that talks about it, when anyone gets married uh, or enters into a partnership, there will always be a high desire partner and a low desire partner. He calls that a rule. Um, and so what happens a lot of times with high and low desire partners is that they begin to pathologize one another. Like you want sex too much or you want it too little. And then the shadow side of high desire can be compulsive, right? So right. if I'm not going to get my needs, desires met, I'm mm -hmm. going to go into hiding and secrecy and kind of get some payback there. Or hypoarousal could be like, I'm just tired of being badgered by this. And I need to be able to have a no in order to have a meaningful yes. So I want to dive into kind of what can we learn from hypoarousal as well, um, instead of just pathologizing it as a disorder or just someone trying to withhold mm. uh, sex from someone. I think there's so much more going on. And then the, the major work that I'm working on is a little bit of a follow-up to unwanted, but I want to create a a very holistic framework for how we can understand sexual and relational uh, difficulties. So part of that is like, you know, you can get some books to learn about sexual health um, and kind of how anatomy works and how techniques and bodies to kind of increase pleasure. You can get your addiction book through your compulsive mm -hmm. behavior book to learn about the past. You can get some, you know, emotionally focused work or couples work. Uh, you can get some on the process of differentiation or how does creativity and sexuality combine. Uh, but there's no work out there that I know of that kind of combines a holistic framework. And I think that's really central to why we're just stymied in stalling mm -hmm. and holistic growth. I think sexual difficulties are exceedingly normal. I, I think relational difficulties are how we grow, but we have either pathologized them or normalized them without kind of building a holistic model. So that's that's where I'm going hopefully next wow. is let's bring a lot of models together um, so that people have the potential to learn their story and learn development from a non-pathological approach. Gosh, so, as, yeah. as I hear you say that, I'm thinking like, I'm really excited for this book to come out in eight years because it's <laughs> such a big topic. Yeah. That you're going to address. Yeah. yeah. What can we do to help you write those books? That's our question. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I think both of those projects you described are, are spot on in terms mm. of, you know, obviously pure desires in the recovery realm. And I think sometimes inadvertently, there can almost be a feeling of, well, if we can just help you get healthy, if we can help you, you know, go beyond the compulsive habits you've had and, and live, you know, with really healthy guardrails in your life, there's almost an assumption that like, well, from there, things will just work themselves out. <laughs> But really Precisely. that's, that's only like the first stage of recovery. And then there's all these questions of how yeah. do I connect with my spouse and how do we, you know, relearn healthy rhythms and, and the, the material on that is really sparse. And so that's exciting. And the, the hypo arousal, yeah, the other side of mm -hmm. for almost every sex addict or porn addict that we're working with, there's another side of the equation that's because of that often mm -hmm. been leaned in the other direction. And again, we may just assume that, well, if you can get the addict healthy and working, you know, beyond their struggles, then the other spouse will probably just lean back in and they'll find a good routine, which, yeah. which isn't always the case because we do so frequently mm -hmm. hear those couples. And, and I'm sure many are listening to this podcast going, amen, brother, write the book because we're getting healthier, but yeah. our sex life is still yep. just not happening yeah. because there's that hypo arousal as you described. So uh, it's exciting to hear you're delving into those and it's great. 
And that's been the failure, I, I think, of the addiction community, but also the mental health community mm. is, I mean, that assumption, Nick, is so spot on. We have kind of, it, it, you know, this sense of like, if we get emotionally connected, then desire will just take care of itself. And it, that's just not true. Mm. Um, and that's where I love that language of there's always gonna be a high desire and a low desire partner. And that becomes part of the work of how do you hold on to the desire that you have without yeah. becoming a badger, but also you know, someone's high desire to a low desire might push that other person to a level of growth. And I think yeah. that's what we need the invitation to see is that it's not just that your marriage is broken or um, just never going to recover. Right. It's that like difficulties are how we grow. And yeah. so in many ways, the marriage is doing exactly what it's supposed to do, which mm. is to, you know, get out, uh, get people out from hiding. But then after the hiding and the secrecy, then becomes the really difficult work of relational yeah. growth that yeah. we haven't learned yet. So yep. this is, uh, I mean, it's kind of like compounding interest of a loan. Like you've <laughs> got to start making, yep. uh, a payment or it's just going to keep continue to totally. compound with time. So, yeah, that's so good. And I mean, even as you say that, I think, um, I think that it's interesting that the difficulty that people, when they enter into that space in their marriages, that actually their addiction or the unwanted behavior is a way to avoid having to get into that discomfort. And whether we know that in the moment yes. or not, yeah. it's a way to keep it at arm's length for sure. Um, yes. Okay. So, uh, and this is, I mean, this is your wheelhouse. So just over, over time, you know, through your research of unwanted and uh, and writing the book, and then now afterward, um, oftentimes when it comes to our sexual history, we spend so much time avoiding it, not looking at it, trying to run away from it. Um, so, why, in your opinion, should we face our story? And honestly, how do you get people who've been running away from it for years, even decades, to understand mm -hmm. why, like they're avoiding it, and then why they need to turn and face it? Yes. Uh, so two things come to mind. I, I mean, I think the first is my own story. So uh, a lot of context that I could bring you into, but if I were to bring you into kind of my sexual relational life in seminary, uh, two kind of stories come to mind. The first is that uh, a lot of the porn searches that I was making uh, had to do with kind of uh, the, the theme of mothers uh, or women that were older than me. So that was always kind of very perplexing to me. Like, why am I drawn to this theme? And then when I was in grad school, uh, I had a good friend of mine who said to me, she said, Jay, um, I feel like you are a candy man. <laughs> and I said, what are you talking about? And she said, it's like you have this emotional candy uh, that you are offering out to so many different women that you know, where you kind of build relationships really quickly um, and you get really intimate really fast and you ask, you know, a lot of great questions, um, but it also kind of leads me on and also kind of makes uh, some other friends of ours essentially uncomfortable mm -hmm. with the way that I was showing up. So, you know, if I had gone into therapy or into a group, that's my current story, which I think is true for a lot of us potentially listening is like, 
you know, I've got a porn search or an affair archetype that I keep seeking out. And you've got to ask that question, like, what is happening in my story? But then also when you think about your style of relating to the same sex, the opposite sex, like where does all that come from? So as I began to kind of do some work around my story, part of the themes that came back to me was uh, I can remember being at my kitchen table growing up. And I remember it was a Thursday night because my dad, uh, who was a Presbyterian minister, was gone the night before at a session meeting uh, with all of the elders of the church. And so I remember getting this phone call. It was dinner time and we didn't pick up the phone in our family almost ever. Uh, that continues to be a trait of mine <laughs> to this day. So if you call uh, Jay, it's nothing personal. Yeah, nothing personal. Some family yeah. history at work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. My father made me do it. Um, <laughs> and... You know, it went to the answering machine and part of what I began to hear was this elder's wife began to cry uh, with regard to disclosing that her husband had just had an affair or she had just found out about it. And I remember watching kind of my my parents go into crisis mode. I knew that my dad was going to be leaving um, that evening to go be with the elders, try and, you know, figure out a lot of the crisis management that needed to unfold. Uh, but my role in my family was to watch my mom's face. Uh, and I could tell that she was angry. I could tell that my dad was prioritizing ministry again at the cost of kind of, uh, you know, the home. And just in the midst of their marital binds and difficulties and, you know, honoring the church, but then also trying to honor our family, uh, there was tension in the home. And so part of my role in my family would be to do dishes with my mom, go shopping with her, uh, ask her how she was doing with dad working so much, mm -hmm. or uh, just if there was anything that I could do in terms of vacuuming the house or any errands that I could help run. And so although like my mom and I's relationship was not kind of what we would understand to be like sexual abuse, uh, that way of relating to a mother, that way of knowing kind of where women are struggling and going through a lot of difficulty, um, I learned that beginning in my childhood. Mm -hmm. And so if I did not build the bridge from the present to the past, I would have consigned my life to just trying to fight and manage a behavior without understanding any of the real war that I was in. Yeah. So, you know, the invitation here is to, to be a bridge builder. So if you are tired of just trying to manage your sexual life, uh, tired of kind of just making New Year's resolutions that this is the year that you're going to quit, you have to be really curious to be able to say, mm -hmm. why am I aroused by this? Um, what is it about this particular porn search or this particular type of person uh, that is so appealing to me? And so I think that's the, you know, the humility, but also the curiosity to be able to say, there's so much more going on in this story. So that's the invitation is to build the bridge from the mm -hmm. present to the past. And then I think the second thing I would say uh, comes from neuroscience and you know leaders like Peter Levine, uh, Bessel van der Kolk, but this notion that trauma almost 
rarely, uh, or how, I'm trying to think how they would say it. So trauma does not always come back to us as a memory. Mm. Uh, it comes back to us as a reaction. And so a lot of times people are saying, well, I don't remember a lot, or I can't really remember kind of all the details of my life. But the reality is, is that our reactions are telling a story. Mm -hmm. So when you begin to think about, I don't know how to be alone without sexualizing some of that loneliness and fear, well, there's a story there. Yeah. Um, it might not be a particular memory, but the reaction of feeling anxious or the need to kind of merge with sexual behavior uh, is telling you a clue into the potential abandonment or the potential disengagement of your family. Or maybe you find yourself kind of uh, exceedingly angry with your kids or exceedingly angry when someone doesn't come through for you, that reaction is actually providing clues to you mm. with regard to something that has been unresolved. And mm. so, um, you know, the story approach is being able to say, you know, I think as William Faulkner says, the past is not past. Uh, it, it, it's not, or the past is not dead. It's not even past. Like yeah. it's, it's playing out mm -hmm. in this present moment. And for me, that's the far more generative approach is I, I don't want to engage a struggle without meaning. Uh, I want to understand my story. Yeah. So, and transform that story. Mm. I think it's powerful to consider how we connect with our past that, that we are in, in so many ways. You know, we talk about this, we're a byproduct of our family of origin, the environments we mm -hmm. grew up in. And, and I think we see that maybe more easily on the positive side, like how it shaped me to be the man I am today or yeah, the woman I am today. Sure. And when I think about how to help people who, who don't want to face that, I, I think that can be a helpful approach to look at. You know, can you see in all the, the good ways that you've been shaped and formed, when you see the connection, mm -hmm. it gives you an appreciation for, oh, this is why I'm confident in these situations, or this is why I feel yeah. um, the, the boldness to take on that, that big task where others maybe don't. And, and we can appreciate what's been built into us in a positive way. So we can just flip mm -hmm. it around and say, well, what if in the same way there were negative things that got built into you that are creating your negative reactions or your struggles? Yeah. And if we could understand where it comes from, and to a degree, even have an appreciation for the way it was shaping you, mm -hmm. then we have a lot more tools and resources to go through a reshaping or to to start to write that story differently because we we know some of the source material versus yeah. feeling like we're just picking up a movie halfway through and trying to figure out what the heck is going on yeah. when we don't mm -hmm. even know a character's mm -hmm. backstory. That's true. One thing, this is just the visual that comes to mind. It's almost like your story or your history is like a key to uh, really mm -hmm. translate what actually has happened in your life or where you're at currently. Like I think of like a cipher, you know, you talked about movies mm -hmm. and I just went to like, oh, you know how people write like all these messages and then there's a cipher. It's almost like that's what it is, that your history actually has all these, and this is maybe to steal some language from you, it's like keys to unlock our understanding of our story mm -hmm. now, why we are the way that we are. You know, as you say that, I've been thinking a lot recently about this in my own life where if someone make some decision that actually inconveniences me or somehow adds difficulty, even though I know that person and they maybe aren't detail-oriented or might miss something mm -hmm. like that, I have this huge reaction. It's as if they would have punched me in the mouth and I have that, it happened a couple weekends ago. And it, it like, and Justin was involved and he's sitting right here, our producer, so he's probably laughing. But I had this huge reaction to something that really at the end of the day is not a big deal. But to your point, what that's revealing is that there's something from my history that has mm, taught me when yeah. that happens, your value 
that like, people don't value you. They don't care about you. Your needs aren't important or necessary. And so it is interesting. That's just maybe mm-hmm. a, a, a personal story of how I've seen that play out even last weekend. Yeah. I mean, two things on that would be, I mean, to Nick's point, this notion that means a lot to me is like that of honor and honesty. Mm. Uh, And I think of those two things as two sides of the same coin. So I think of like, you know, someone like the person of Abraham, like we can honor that Abraham left, uh, you know, the land that he needed to leave in order to go into this new land that God was calling him into. Uh, We can kind of say that he is the father of our faith. And at the same time, we also know that he was essentially a bona fide coward uh, that tried to traffic his wife a couple of times. And scripture permits that. And then you get to Psalm 88 that kind of essentially ends with like, darkness is a closer friend than you, oh God. Um, And that's called worship. And so I think the scripture is always inviting us to like, if you cannot really be honest about what you have suffered, how your parents have sinned against you, you're not actually being honest or loving. And I think that's the really tough teaching from Jesus. Unless you leave your mother and your father, you can't follow me. And that is really this question of, you know, where is your loyalty? Uh, And sometimes we can be so loyal to protecting this image of our mother, our father, our family, uh, rather than, you know, opening our hands to this notion that God wants to bring good care and comfort to a lot of the stories that we would prefer to protect our parents from. Mm. Um, So I I think that's so crucial. And then I think the, you know, I, I know some of the suspicion around like, so wait, so every reaction that Trevor had to punch someone or Jay had is just from the past. Um, And it's like, Yes, but but no. I mean, right. this is this is a matter of like the window of tolerance, right? Yeah. So the window of tolerance is the sense of like, do you go into what they refer to as the red zone, where you become really angry, really militant, kind of fight or flight, or we have something called the blue zone, which is when you go into just like forlorn, depressed, kind of a Monday blues of I don't want to do yeah. anything with right. my life. That will happen regardless of the family of origin that you came through. But I think the key question is when you were in your red zone moment as a child and angry and just kind of upset at the world around you, did you have parents that pathologized that and kind of, you know, shamed you for having that? Well, if they did, you never got the opportunity to work through really difficult emotions. Or let's say that you were in the blue zone a lot. I, I think of middle school as just a terrible experience for so many of us. And just that sense of, did you have parents that were willing to see some of the sadness that, you know, maybe you, you left for school and you seemed okay, but then when you came home, something was off in your face. And did you have parents that inquired about that? Mm -hmm. And so when we go through good families that are attuned and don't shame us and don't ignore us. We learn how to work with really difficult emotions. So difficult emotions will always be there. Um, but in good families, we learn how to move into those emotions uh, without being highly reactive, uh, but also not through ignoring them. So that's that's the invitation is, you know, it's not about blaming yeah. our family yeah. of origin, but right. it's like understanding where are the deficits that, mm-hmm. as Nick said, a lot of things that my parents did so well. My dad 
would always read multiple books on theology and psychology at his bedside table. So whenever the converse, we would have conversations, uh, they would be around this integration between theology and psychology. Well, what am I doing with my life today? Yeah. Uh, it comes from that story with my dad. But I also know that if I didn't have those theological and psychological conversations with my dad in middle school, we didn't have much of a relationship. Mm. And that's where I have to both honor my dad, but then also be honest mm. uh, with my grief of, yeah. I didn't have a relationship with my dad if I was not uh, at the level yeah. of the competence of an yeah. elder of his church. Right. Wow. Yeah. So we're already kind of talking about this a little bit, Jay, but if, if anyone follows you regularly or, you know, is on your website, they're going to see this concept of outgrowing porn or outgrowing our unwanted sexual behaviors. Why do you think that's such a crucial concept, particularly in an era where most of what we've gotten in the church, you know, for us growing up in the 90s and 2000s, is a lot more of the battle imagery, the victory, the fighting for freedom, the mm -hmm. conquering. I mean, mm -hmm. Ted Roberts showing up on the Conquer series, just that theme of like victory yeah. over our sin, yeah. which I mean, can kind of make sense to us, but maybe doesn't always give us an accurate picture of what recovery should be. So talk a little mm -hmm. bit about why that concept about growing our, our, our mm -hmm. struggles is such an important idea to you. Yes. Uh, I mean, you're right. Just even as you kind of give all the militant warlike language, I mean, we want to see ourselves as victors. I mean, history is not written by the losers, it's written by those <laughs> who have conquered and won. Right. Uh, so I think there's, there is something of just our ego that like we, we want to conquer, we want to win to kind of give us this impression that uh, we are far more powerful than we are. But I think this notion of outgrowing uh, is that like, healing takes so much time uh, and it often goes far deeper um, and ends up being far more beautiful than we could ever ask or imagine and so this notion of outgrowing is saying like you know trying to stop something you know just the just say no to drugs campaign i, I believe actually increased drug use among <laughs> current drug users uh, but the the whole project of mm -hmm. just say no completely failed. And so I think part of what we need to say with our unwanted behaviors is, you know, there are different stages to this. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to kind of be honest about what we are struggling with, what we're dealing with in life, but then we need to get really curious as to why are these things manifesting yeah. in our lives? Right. Uh, how does this highlight unresolved pain? Uh, unresolved difficulties. And so uh, that's the approach is that you will go so much further if you think about this in terms of, you know, how can I eventually outgrow this thing instead of how can I just kind of quit this thing once and for all? Yeah. And I love that part of it. I love the, that you're on a spectrum or you're on a map going one direction or the other. You're not I've already won mm -hmm. and it's done. It is a, and I've thought about this a lot too in my life, like which direction am I heading? What habits, this is what we talk about in recovery mm -hmm. is so important, is what are the habits you're putting in place to push you down the road in the direction you want to go versus just stopping mm -hmm. a behavior? And that's the whole thing we talk about, not just changing a behavior, but changing the way we do life. And it's that directional stuff that we're talking about. You know, or I think of the, the sports analogy when it comes to winning. Mm -hmm. In my mind, one of the worst things about winning 
is that there's another game the next day, the next week, the next season. Like yeah. even if you win the Super Bowl, you, you were champions for a season, right? But then a new day or a new season starts, and you got to yeah. do it all over again. And I actually hear that mm. from men and women in this area of recovery that they'll be like, "Yeah, I had victory and I had a great year," yeah. and then you know something came up and I found I was right back in it. And and every time they're fighting some of the same battles all over again, and sometimes they're successful and sometimes not. But there's not really a clarity of why am I doing this? What's going on? Mm. What are the deeper things at work? And I. Yeah. I think that's what you're talking about, Jay, is in outgrowing that there's a process of understanding our yeah. story, a process of maturing, a process of having more resources and tools that we're not fighting the same battle every time. It's mm-hmm. it's actually changing mm-hmm. because we are growing and we are changing. And that that doesn't mean, you know, we get to a place where we're just totally immune from, you know, weakness or hardship because we're still human. Yeah. But I really think as you're saying, Trevor, we can we can begin to live life differently. Yeah with this kind of mindset versus just, I'm going to win for a day and then tomorrow I have to figure out how to win again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the image of like training wheels came to mind as you all were talking, mm. but just this notion of like, you know, it, the, we are going to struggle. We're not always going to ride a bike or anything that we try out the first time. Uh, in a very easy or elegant fashion. Right. Um, but, you know, we don't want to always keep training wheels on because we want increased levels of freedom. Mm-hmm. So it's not about, you know, it's about outgrowing our need for training wheels uh, so that we're actually free to go into the directions that we ultimately want to go into. Right. And so I think of, you know, things like porn and unwanted behavior as just such a thief to joy. Mm. And so Mm. sometimes that's, you know, the motivation to outgrow it is to be able to say, yeah, I understand what it symbolizes, but far more this thing uh, certainly has given me some reprieve from the difficulties of my life, but far more uh, it it has stolen uh, Mm. some of the greatest years of my life. And I want to outgrow it so that I'm actually free to to live. Yeah. So, uh, and part of outgrowing it, I mean, truly is uh, like our summit this year, our Pure Desire Summit, which plug, 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 you are going to be one of the speakers at, which we're very, very excited. Um, we'll have the link in the show notes. You can go register. It's going to be a big deal. But one of the one of the things of like outgrowing porn is really changing your mindset to recovery. And uh, it's going all in. That's what we're focusing on in the summit this fall. Um, so what keeps people from your opinion and your experience from going all in on recovery? Mm-hmm. And what do we do when you recognize that you're working with someone who's only really just trying to put the bare minimum in? Like, I'm just going to do this much and it's going to be enough. Like, how do you handle that situation? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a couple things come to mind. The first is that I want to privilege that person's resistance to going all in. And I think that that's, you know, part of what we were talking about earlier is I think there is a problem in our field that when people begin to get into this work, uh, it it feels very depressing, honestly. Like people kind of get a sense of like, I'm never going to be out of this. I'm going to be in meetings for the rest of my life. Um, And it's a pathology, you know, pathology based focus. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when I meet with people who have been through groups for a really long time, uh, I, I kind of think of like, you know, if we were to just imagine like someone's backyard and let's say that that backyard used to have a lot of unwanted sexual behavior in it. Uh, and then they kind of bring out their gospel version of weed killer and they're just, you know, spraying their whole entire backyard down. 
And they're like, look at me, I'm sober for six years and I haven't had a relapse. And then it's like, but your entire backyard is barren. There's nothing back there. Mm. And so I think part of what we need to invite people into is not just a level of sobriety, not just a level of like, we're gonna work with trauma, Uh, But we need to offer a vision of a backyard that becomes something of a garden for people to, uh, you know, eat their food from, to be able to find life and joy in the midst of everything that they're creating. So uh, I think that's healthy suspicion. Um, But I would also say that's part of an extension of that is like we have framed this as a freedom from unwanted behaviors versus like, what is your freedom for? Mm. Um, so when you think mm. about, you know, Galatians, is it five? Like it is for freedom that you have been set free. So it's not freedom from sin. Uh, it's not just freedom from yeah. a, a porn struggle. We have to be asking ourselves, what is that struggle? Uh, or <clears throat> what's the nature of what our freedom is actually for? Mm-hmm. So the that aside, I think the other category would be that we intuitively know that this work is painful. Uh, You know, it is painful to deal with unwanted behaviors and uh, the pain of shame, the pain of what that debris causes in our relationships. Uh, But there are different stages to that pain that once we begin to address that and begin to Mm -hmm. establish some sobriety and growth, we intuitively know that we're going to have to face even more pain. And all of us uh, resist going deeper into our pain. It's like, why Mm. I haven't been to the dentist uh, for my (laughs) six-month checkup in a while. Like, I I don't want to have to deal with what I know I have to deal with. And I think that's part of the resistance as well. So privilege your resistance, but then you know, get a sense of what do you want freedom for? Is that marriage, kids, or passion? And then also prepare yourself for pain um, Mm -hmm. because this this journey is going to be difficult. Um, But the the flip side of that difficulty is a growth that you can't even begin Mm -hmm. to imagine at this point in your journey. Well, and we know that biblically, like pain is not pointless. Like God has mm-hmm. a purpose for it and uses it for our benefit and for the benefit of people around us. And so that's just another, I mean, mm-hmm. if you you know want to make sure you're rooting, like just look at suffering in the Bible. Like it is used for our benefit and our good. Yeah. Well, it makes me yes. think of where yeah. Jesus talks about before we follow him, like weigh the cost, count the cost. Mm-hmm. He talks about that king that doesn't go into battle unless he's really considered mm-hmm. what it's going to take and believes he can go all in yeah. uh, to see it through to completion. Otherwise, don't go out. And right. I- I think that's Jesus's challenge to us, like to realize there is a cost mm-hmm. and there are hard things to face. But if, if we get a vision, just like in following Christ, if we have a vision for what we're being called to and his kingdom and his purpose, like, well, well, that's that's worth whatever it takes. That's yeah. the pearl of greatest price. It's it's selling everything I have to get that that thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we can apply some of those spiritual principles to this journey um, of recovery, like, mm-hmm. yeah, there, there are a lot of costs. And if I haven't taken time to think through them and, and weigh them and determine that, that it's worth it, then we're not going to go all in because when we start to hit the pain, it's like, well, I don't mm-hmm. know if this is worth it. And, yeah. and if all we're trying to do is get freedom, like you said, so well, Jay, freedom from, we don't have the vision to keep working through that pain. It's like, boy, I, I think my secrecy and the little bit of pleasure yeah. that, yeah, there's a ton of shame with it, but that was better than facing this pain. Right. Unless we have mm-hmm. that vision of 
you know, the backyard guard and the beauty of what we're being led into. So yeah, that, so that may just be some really important mm-hmm. work to do in, in weighing those costs. So it related to that, Jay, and it's a question we get all the time. And uh, even as people are listening, um, they are listening as a half of the equation, that they have a spouse who is not mm-hmm. all in. And they feel like, man, I'm running after my recovery. And we see that both on the struggler side that they're starting to find freedom and traction, but we also see it on the betrayed spouse side, that they're working through their healing and doing well, and, and they can have a spouse that's just like disengaged, not interested, or they feel like their spouse is only doing the bare minimum while they're going all in. So what do you say to that spouse that is struggling with, hey, I'm, I'm engaged in my healing, but my spouse is totally not. How do you try to help them through that process? It's so tough, so agonizing. I think that it, going back to that theme of honesty is, I mean, how how do we grieve that in some ways, like the the growth, the desire that we often want for our spouses does not always take place. And so I think I would really want to be, yeah, just tender to that place with regard to like, how do we deal with kind of unfulfilled longing? And that's true of all areas of life is like, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so, you know, it's important for us to attend and tend to that, that disappointment that we're experiencing. Uh, but here's the other side uh, to that is that it, I think of like my wife's therapy. Um, she has therapy on Wednesdays. And on Tuesdays, I begin to get a little bit anxious. And then <laughs> Wednesday, when I know that I'm going to see her after therapy, uh, I you know, there's a level of kind of caution yeah. that I <laughs> did, you did you talk yeah. about your dynamic? Uh, what's happening here? And uh, here's why I know that if she changes, I have to change too. Mm. Um, and that's not because I'm, you know, not all into my own therapy. It's that like unilateral changes <laughs> um, mess with all of us. So, yeah. I mean, when we think about something happening with Russia and the Ukraine, uh, it, Putin is making a unilateral change that is affecting everyone. Mm. Um, and so just that notion of like, once you really commit to growth and to health, that's part of the the caution that I think our spouses run into is that, yeah, I want your unwanted behavior to change, or I want your betrayal trauma healed. But if I'm honest, um, I don't want to have to change either. Uh, and so I think that's always the difficult work that we're facing yeah. is um, it, once someone begins to make meaningful changes, that's going to disrupt the equilibrium of the system. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as you begin to be kind, to ask for more of what you need, but also don't become a badger, but also don't look away and hide that's gonna change your marriage system. Um, as you are less impressed by you know, some of the excuses that your spouse might make from time to time, uh, that is going to create some level of existential dread for them that they can no longer get away from what they used to you know, get away with. Right. And so I think as my wife looks away from less and less in her story and in her life, she looks away less and less <laughs> from our marriage. And just even in that, she is forcing me to change uh, in a way that I think is kind, but also incredibly strong. Right. Yeah. So what I hear you say in there is you've got to be willing to grieve 
maybe the the marriage you don't mm-hmm. have or the progress you're not seeing, be willing to be kind in your response mm-hmm. and then be gracious to continue asking for what you feel you need. And I, yeah. I think if people were doing those three things, I mean, there's in relationships, there's no guarantees. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, we could do everything perfectly mm-hmm. and another person still makes their own choices. That's, yeah. that's the nature of relationships. But I think in what you've mm-hmm. shared there, if we're following that approach, we, we give ourselves, our spouse, our relationship a real shot for that growth mm-hmm. over time yeah. to also take hold in their life. And I, I think it's, uh, it's not an easy place for sure to be like, like you just said. Okay, so we've already mentioned it a couple times. You are going to be with us in September, it's September 16, 17, the summit, the Pure Desire Summit. And uh, you and we also have Dr. Julie Slattery. We're also very excited to have yeah. her. Um, mm-hmm. But for you, when you're going to be on stage, you're going to be sharing with all these people, what can they expect to hear from you? I mean, maybe it's some of the musings we've already talked a little bit about today, but when you join us in the summit, what can we expect to hear from Jay Stringer? I know I should have this answered, but honestly, I don't know if I have it completely <laughs> That's answered. Okay. So yeah. we'll have to get some listener feedback. But I think like part of where my heart is really drawn, and I don't have this fully fleshed out yet, is like what's the interplay between kind of shame and desire? Um, like I think of an example that I've been mulling around with is, uh, you know, the story of Peter's denial of Jesus that you know, it takes place over a coal fire and he denies Jesus. But then as Jesus goes to find Peter after his betrayal, uh, he doesn't look away from Peter's shame. Uh, He doesn't shame him for what he did. Um, But in many ways, he, he, he increases Peter's shame in that moment. Like Peter is going to feel that acute sense of, I've just betrayed this man. And now he's showing up over a fire. Um, and so I think in some ways that that sense of what Jesus is doing is inviting Peter to desire again. And I think what happens to so many of us in recovery is that we we think that our desire is bad. And so therefore we need to suppress it and get rid of it mm. and kind of get rid of all the weeds. But desire is not the problem. And so I think as we engage our shame uh, there's something about uh, desire that gets reawakened for goodness, for pleasure, for beauty. And um, that's what I want people to feel on this journey is, mm-hmm. you know, as we've talked about, there's some hard realities that yeah. we have to face. Uh, but if it's not a journey unto desire and reclaiming desire and a freedom for life, uh, what in the world are we doing yeah. with our lives and our recovery system? So um, maybe that's part of it. Is that yeah. what does it mean for us to reclaim and set our desire free once again? I mean, I know it's just like kind of off the cuff pitch, but I'm excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't end up speaking on that, I'll be disappointed at this point. So um, Jay, we, uh, again, man, we just appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, you know, and I, it's something that I've become more and more, I think, um, aware is probably a good, a good word, but also sensitive to just the way mm-hmm. you choose your words and the curiosity and compassion you have toward yourself, your own story, but also to other people, especially people in this realm that struggle with mm-hmm. sexual addiction, unwanted sexual behaviors and betrayal trauma. And so uh, we just appreciate you. We're super excited to see you in person uh, with both your elbows intact, right? With us September at the summit. But again, man, thank you for your time. And we're excited to see you in September. 
yeah, honored to be with you both today. Yeah, thank you for how you engage this topic and just your invitation to me to be part of what you all are building and doing in the world. Absolutely. And wherever you're at on your journey, Pure Desire is here to help create a roadmap for your healing. If you or someone you know is impacted by sexual brokenness or betrayal trauma, go to puredesire.org and let's start the healing journey today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and drop us a review. It helps others find the podcast. Each week we're putting out new content to help you on the road to healing and freedom. And lastly, never stop being healthy. Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire Podcast. Every woman that takes a breath. This is going to be one of our best resources that we've ever put out. They're wanting to be married. They're wanting to be sexual. And they're saying, what does this even look like? Is it even okay to have these discussions? I think that's one of the things that's interesting about women who struggle is that we don't take good care of ourselves. Right. We, we are the last person, and sometimes we are taking care of everybody else, but we're the last person that we take care of. And that, I think, is my favorite part about these resources.